Welcome to the Civil Squared Podcast, where we explore civil discourse and the free exchange of ideas. And now your host of the show, Dr. Jennifer K. Thompson. Welcome and thanks for joining us. Today, I'm going to share with you a conversation that I recently had with a really, really amazing businesswoman who uh, I think is inspiring lots of people. Well, she definitely is because uh, she's received a lot of awards. Her name's Michelle Sirocco, and she's the Chief Social Responsibility Officer for Televerdi. Televerdi is a marketing uh, and customer call center business that works for companies all over the world. And they have a very unique business model. And we will talk about that in the conversation. But what's important for you to know right now, I think, is that Televerdi employs women who are currently incarcerated. Uh, and, And Michelle will describe that to us she will describe to us why that has changed the lives of the women who are working for Televerdi, but it's also changed the lives of their families and people around them. It's, it's really interesting, and I'm, I'm excited to share that with you. But Michelle's also the executive director of the Televerdi Foundation, which is a nonprofit that Televerdi has set up to improve workforce development, uh, ensure more people uh, are getting jobs that will change their lives. She has been at Televerdi for over 20 years. She, as I mentioned, has gotten a lot of rewards. She was named a world-changing woman in conscious business by Conscious Company Magazine. Uh, she has received uh, recognition as one of the most admired business leaders in Phoenix, where Televerdi is, is located. She's got an MBA, MBA from Arizona State University, She is on the advisory board for the Center for Services Leadership. She's actively involved in nonprofits, uh, business organizations, and just a really, really interesting person who travels a lot, who speaks publicly, and who herself has an important story for you to hear about her own history and how she came to work for Televerdi. Now, the reason we wanted to have Michelle on, apart from all of these things, which I think are important and interesting, is that we have talked a lot on the podcast and in our weekly newsletter about the role of business in addressing societal challenges. Is is it business's responsibility to do more than make a profit? Does it have a responsibility to improving the community in ways other than making profit. Michelle has an interesting um, perspective on this. It's an important perspective. And it, and it is one that says we don't need to make those decisions. We don't need to say either or. Because we know many of you in our audience are actively and primarily engaged in for-profit business, we wanted to have this conversation with Michelle And we wanted to give you something to think about in terms of how you, as a business person, as someone engaged in commerce, affect the world around you and what kind of impact you can have. I should note that this was a conversation we taped in a live event. So uh, that doesn't change the conversation significantly, just so you know that that's happening. And at some points, we took questions from the audience. Uh, But it's a great conversation. I learned a lot about the work Michelle does, but I also learned a lot about myself. And I hope you'll be able to say the same when you've listened to it. We want to obviously get to the question of, you know, social responsibility and profit. But let's start 
before that with you talking about Televerde, because you've been there for a long time. Obviously, you have a passion for the work that Televerde does, but tell us about the business that is Televerde. Yeah, that's that's always really a good place to start to understand what what we're doing and why why we care. And so um, Televerde is a uh, business to business sales and marketing agency that was founded 26 years ago. Um, based on the idea that providing women in prison with jobs, training, and educational opportunities while they were incarcerated, uh, that we could build a profitable business while providing the women with the opportunity to develop the marketable skills necessary to successfully transition back into the community. And so, um, you know, if you think back to when I'm talking about this is 1995, um, it was an outrageous idea. People didn't think about social enterprises. People thought about prison in a much different way um, than they do today. It was not kind of a socially acceptable thing. And, and it was started by a gentleman who was involved in prison ministries and just thought there wasn't enough being done for the women to um, help them come back into the community successfully. And he had a background in call centers. And so he worked with the state to open up a call center inside the women's prison. And um, a few months later, he uh, met our uh, former CEO and uh, what became our co-founder, his co-founder, uh, who had just recently retired. He was a serial entrepreneur, retired from um, a couple sales or a couple technology businesses that he'd built and owned. He was an IBM sales executive. And, and when he looked at the business, he really recognized that um, if we could teach the women to sell, particularly sell technology, that we could build a, a, a really good business in an industry that would be less discriminatory against their non-traditional backgrounds and our unique business model. And so um, it was brilliant. This was you know, the beginning of Y2K and then ERPs and the dot-com. And so um, here we are 26 years later and uh, we have had over 3,500 women who have gone through the program and successfully transitioned back into the community. Uh, we represent some of the biggest and brightest technology companies in the world, companies like SAP, Epson, General Electric, Adobe, uh, and have had relationships with these companies for years. And the women are able to develop the skills necessary to not just be sales professionals now, but technical, they go into technical roles, account management roles, and a wide variety of real careers. And they transition back into the community either to work for our company or to go work for our customers or other tech, com tech companies um, in the industry. And the results and the impact have been phenomenal. We've, as I said, 3,500 women and uh, they have realized um, great results. Like for example, if you know anything about incarceration, uh, you know, the number one problem is it, recidivism. So roughly 70% of people will return to prison within the first three years. And so for the women of Televerde, it's less than 6%. That's amazing. And the, the thing about it is, is that what we know is that um, the number one predictor for the key predictors for recidivism is joblessness and low income. And for the women of Televerde, they're reporting 94% employment mm -hmm. uh, one year after incarceration, which is... Um, uh, on average, a formerly incarcerated woman will have 54% unemployment one year after incarceration. And what's worse is their earnings will average only about $10,500. And mm -hmm. so women are, women are earning um, almost four times that 
the national average for a formerly incarcerated woman. And so this is what enables them to not just stay out of prison, um, but also to become role models for their family and for their children, because four out of five women in prison are mothers and 60% of those children are under the age of 18. And when they come home, they want to have, the, not only do they want to have those children back, but their family is expecting them to take those children back. And so when we prepare them for real, real careers where they can earn a, a good living and be able to not just take care of themselves, you know, at the lowest level, but to be able to thrive rather than just survive, right. then they can, they, they, they raise the bar for their children and for their family. And so um, the children of the women of Tel Verde are 11 times less likely to become just as involved as adults. That's amazing. So, yeah, and and so to be clear, that, that excellent number of full employment, 94%, uh, is not just at Tel Verde. I mean, people are, the, the, you're, Correct. they're moving out into the workforce beyond. Yeah, absolutely. We have... Um, at least 40 women who've gone to work for SAP over the past couple of years. Uh, just last week, one of the girls who graduated from our program in December um, accepted a position with Cisco, a very highly technical position at Cisco. Wow. Yeah, so they go and they take their skills and go on to do uh, great things with great companies all over the world. That's excellent. So you, I want to talk about your role at Televerde and how it's changed over time and what you've been doing. But let me let me stick with the business just for a minute. So if I'm a customer, if I'm Cisco or SAP or somebody like that, and I'm looking for someone to handle um, customer calls uh, in a call center, do I do I come to Televerde by virtue of the the you know, unique nature of your business? Or do I come to Televerity just because I know they're one of the best companies out there to provide this service? That's such a great question, right? So um, people come to us, when you think about the brands that we're talking about, companies like that do not outsource to us just because of our business model, right? right. The business model is cute and it's nice to have, but nobody is going to um, make a decision just based on that. And they're not going to continue that relationship unless we are delivering real results. So, um, and for example, SAP has been one of our biggest clients for 12 years. So, I mean, it's very, very significant. And so we pride ourselves on um, being the best in the business at what we do by delivering meaningful results, specifically um, return on investment and revenue for our clients. So we've delivered, we've tracked that we've delivered almost $12 billion in revenue for our customers wow. over the years. Yeah. And the reason why we're able to do that, the reason why we're able to be the best in the world at what we do is because we have this amazing business model, because when you invest in people and you give people the opportunity to fulfill their potential and achieve their best, they, they become really committed and loyal and dedicated employees, right? To, these, to the women that are, that are currently incarcerated that are working on these campaigns, this is the opportunity for a better life. And they are, they are all in 110%. In fact, one of my one of the benefits of my job, great benefits of my job, is I have the opportunity to take uh, current potential customers and, and existing customers out to visit the centers mm -hmm. um, and meet their teams and see them in action. I ran client success for seven years, so I was deeply embedded in all of our customer relationships. And you know, the CEOs of the companies would regularly tell us, one of my favorite, he was the CEO of Marketo at the time, a big marketing automation sure. technology solution. 
And, you know, he said, these women know more about my business and my technology than my own sales reps. Yeah. That's amazing. Well, yeah. and if they're hiring, if they're hiring your employees after they've been released from prison, I mean, they wouldn't do, I suppose somebody could argue they're doing that just for virtue signaling, but it's hard to imagine a company that cares about making a profit because you have to, to stay in business. Right. I mean, yeah. I guess you don't have to, you could just break even, but most companies want to make a profit so that they can stay in business. They're not going to hire just to be able to point probably not going to hire just to be able to point to that and put, or if they were, they wouldn't put the, your, your former employees in really important positions. And you've described that that's, that's happening. Yeah, absolutely. And definitely not virtue signaling at all. In fact, um, a lot of it is just kind of on the down low, right? The, mm -hmm. the girls don't want to be a virtue signal when they no, get out. Sure. Like, you know, not all of them do. Some of them are more than happy to say, this is my badge of honor and who I am and what I've done. And this is what I've become today. But the majority just want to go on and have a successful career and leave the mistakes of their past behind them. So, yeah. um, and you know, like I'll use SAP as an example. Uh, we have a gal, I just had breakfast with her a couple of weeks ago and she worked for me when she was on the inside. She came out and transitioned into a role in the marketing department as a marketing project manager. Then she went over to SAP and uh, started working in kind of a business development type role. Uh, last year, she went to President's Club. She was 150% to quota. She's now been promoted to a, a, a territory account rep, you know, as, as owning an entire territory as a direct sales rep. Mm -hmm. These are not positions you give to people just because you like. Because you want to point to it and say, look what we Because you want to look good. Right. right That's exactly right. right. <laughs> so, okay. So we talked about a little bit the customer angle. Like I'm a customer, I'm SAP. So I come to you and I want a particular service and I'm, I'm not going to continue to be a client if you don't satisfy my needs. Let's talk about the employee part of it. Employees, not every employee of Televerde is incarcerated, but but many are, how do they come to be hired? Um, and, and as you're talking about that, I think it's also important. I can imagine someone saying, well, that's great for you. And it's great that you have this success afterwards, but in some way, aren't you exploiting people within the prison system to give them jobs or whatever? I mean, I'm sure you have heard that from people. Yeah. So that's, that's, that's such a, a, a rub for me, right? I'm because, sure. Yeah. Um, exploiting people, you know, what is, what does that mean? You have to, you know, and, and I always go, you know, ask the women if they're, they're being exploited. In fact, one of the girls who works for us, it's, a, uh, there's a blog on our website that says, ask me if I think I'm being exploited. Mm -hmm. That's exactly what it's about because there was during the presidential election, there was a whole thing about uh, Joe Biden was using a call center that he was utilizing inmate labor. And then it became, it showed up in the news and then he canceled the contract and said, I didn't know anything about it. Mm -hmm. And she wrote this blog about, you know, ask me about whether or not I feel like I'm being exploited because first of all, we, we are paying them and we are paying them a, a fair market wage for the work that they're doing. And, really and that cool. compensation enables them to not just take care of themselves while they're in prison, because most people don't realize this. There's a lot of expenses associated with it being in prison. You have to provide for all of your own personal hygiene. You have to buy your own sneakers. I mean, there's, there's a wide variety of things, phone calls, home, all of these things are expenses. And so we pay the women a, a fair market wage so that they can take care of themselves, which reduces the burden on their families. 
they pay a stipend towards uh, their rent to offset the burden of their incarceration on our community. And then a whole huge portion of it goes into a savings account for when they go home so that they have a nice little nest egg so that they can so that they can restart their life and have the things like clothing and get a place to live that that they wouldn't otherwise have. Again, reducing the burden on their families and our communities. But it's more important than that. That's just that that's just like if I ask you, is the money that you make the most important thing? Why in the work that you do, no, right? No. And if you ask the women that, they're going to tell you the same thing. I, I just had a meeting with a, a group yes, day before yesterday. And one of the girls said, she goes, I would do this if you paid me nothing. Because, because of the value to her. Because I'm, I'm learning a skill. Yeah. I've, I've redeveloped my confidence. I've redeveloped my self-worth self in the world. I've developed a skill. I'm developing a skill that's going to enable me to have a career and oh, by the way, Televerde provides me all these other opportunities to grow and develop um, both personally and professionally through, um, we provide educational opportunities, uh, college education, they get college credits and, and professional development workshops. And then we have a whole six month, and this is what the foundation does, is we have this six month reentry program that really provides them with the support that they need to prepare for their transition back into the community. And then another full year after they're released, we provide them with mentoring and workshops and scholarships and um, all the resources they need to continue to advance their career um, as they, you know, after their release. So there's so much more to it than um, just the work that they're doing. And for that reason, not every person who is interested in working for Televerde gets a job at Televerde, whether they're incarcerated or not, right? I mean, you are, you are, you are using standards to make sure you're getting people who are really going to be committed and who are really going to succeed for your business and for themselves. Absolutely. Let's be honest, we're a for-profit business. And, and, you know, and, and the bigger we grow, the more people can have the, the opportunity to work for us while they're incarcerated or, or otherwise. Um, but we run the business. It's a business. It's not, it's not a, it's not a program inside the prison that, you know, right. you get to sign up and go, I'm going to go take this parenting class. It's, uh, you know, we have here in Arizona, we have four engagement centers um, in the women's prisons. In Indiana, we have two, one in Rockville, Indiana, one in Madison, opening a third in the in Plainville. Um, we'll have a center in Plainville, Indiana, Homestead, Florida. And then most recently, we opened one in Her Majesty's Prison in uh, Manchester, awesome. England. Yeah. yeah. So I love to say that, Her Majesty's Prison. It sounds so classy. Right? <laughs> so, um, and so we... They are, it's a business, it's a call center, it's an engagement center. And when we have openings available, we post on the yard and the women apply for the job. And then they go through a rigorous um, interview process to get selected for the position. Um, typically we hire in groups of about 12 to 15 at a time. Um, then they go through a, a really comprehensive uh, training and onboarding program. Uh, that's three weeks of classroom training and then another two to three weeks of um, shadowing and being shadowed, nesting is what we call it, um, to really get them ready to be able to do the job. And so, um, and we, at each one of the centers, we probably do about two new hire classes a year. 
The women who don't get the opportunity are given feedback on what they need to do to improve so that they can go back and reapply the next time. And, and, and we have stories of women mm -hmm. who have applied, you know, three, four, five times before, given the, 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 before getting the opportunity. Now, you were mentioning the growth in different prisons. I'm wondering if, if there are prisons that are hearing about the success of your work and approaching you and saying, can you open a call center in this prison? Yeah, so that's that's two things that I want to talk about in that area. So thank you for the layup. Um, so the answer to that is absolutely yes. In fact, I just mentioned uh, the other day I was out at the center um, having a conversation with the women, and that was uh, the Colorado Department of Corrections mm -hmm. had come out to visit because they wanted to see our operations both from the business standpoint and the foundation standpoint because they want programs like this in their state to help prepare their women for jobs and, and careers um, as well as provide them with jobs while they're while they're incarcerated. Um, half a dozen other states that I'm talking to uh, on that from that standpoint. The Televerde Foundation, what's unique about, about us is that, so Televerde is a business and it's a for-profit business. And we set a goal in 2018 that we wanted to provide 10,000 life-changing opportunities within the next decade. And uh, as I mentioned before, so far we've only ha had 3,500 women go through the program. Mm -hmm. So the lift to get from 3,500 to another 10,000 in 10 years is a pretty huge lift. Like yeah. we would have to grow the company expo exponentially in a very short period of time. And so in 2020, January, 2020, our CEO came to me and said, you know, Michelle, I'd like you to start this Televerde Foundation. And, and the purpose of the foundation was like, our mission statement is very specific to provide currently and formerly incarcerated women with the personal and professional development programs necessary to successfully join and advance in the global workforce. And so that includes that whole re-entry program that I just talked about the six mm -hmm. months while they're in and the 12 months after they get out. But also what we've done is developed um, our career paths, workforce, workforce development centers. And essentially what it is, is a classroom environment where we're able to go in and train and certify women who do not have the opportunity to work for Televerde to become customer service inside sales and computer help desk professionals. Mm -hmm. And um, we've partnered with Arizona State University, LinkedIn, Silicon Valley Academy, and Cisco um, to provide them with that training and certification to be able to come out of the prison with skills that will enable them to get jobs similar to what the women of Televerde have been able to, to obtain. And then we pair that with that six and 12 month program to give them the holistic support they need to successfully transition. And so our goal from the Televerde Foundation is to replicate that model in prisons all over the country. We opened the first one here in Arizona on May 1st. Um, our girls just took their midterm exams. And I mean, I'm so impressed. Their, their scores on their midterms, and these are ASU classes shot by an ASU instructor, 98%. You know, the, the average score was, I, I think the average was 94%, but they were all high, high scoring um, and they're learning stuff that I learned in my MBA. <laughs> like they're coming to me and asking me questions about some of this stuff. And I'm like, oh, geez, I don't remember. Like, I know I should know that, but I don't remember. And, and um, 
Yeah, so really developing that business acumen. And so the model is, is that we want other states to come forward and say, we'd like a workforce development center in, in our prison. And because then the beauty of it is, is we're partnering with organizations who have these skills gaps, right? Companies are yeah. having a terrible time hiring people. So we're partnering with companies that have hard to fill positions to say, let me build you a prison to workforce pipeline of your own. Which, I mean, this is, this is cool and amazing. And the foundation is a really important point to make, I think, because if we were just talking about Televerity's business as a for-profit entity, it would be a weird challenge, I think, for most businesses to, to have this massive growing, you know, potential workforce that you'd like to hire, but you can't build your business out at the same time to, you know, increase your workforce by three times. So on the one hand, it's a great business model and it's serving the employees as well, which good business models, I think, should also serve employees to keep them happy and to keep them productive. But you're also saying, well, if we're just running the business, we can't serve all those people and we can't give them the opportunities. So let's find, it's another entrepreneurial way to say, let's find opportunities for that workforce. Now, I want to, I want to really sort of, you know, um, get into this question about social responsibility and business generally. But before we do that, I think it's really important. You alluded to this when you said we were talking about whether it's exploiting people in prison. You said that's really a rub for you. I saw you speak at an event here in Indianapolis, and I listened as the people in our audience have just listened to the description of your business model of the foundation and that. And I just thought, wow, you are this amazing, you know, accomplished businesswoman who has this great approach and Televerity is doing great work. I didn't know your personal story when I heard the first part and I was kind of blown away when I heard it afterwards, but, but again, you've already alluded to it by saying, look, you know, saying that you're exploited, that rubs me personally. And, and why is that? Look, I, um, I started my career, I've been with Televerde for 22 years and I started my career with Televerde while I was serving a seven year prison sentence here in Arizona. I was, you know, a, a young girl who wanted more out of life than, um, I, you know, than, than my lot had afforded me. And um, I became incredibly good at making really bad decisions that um, ultimately led to my life looking a little bit like an episode of Breaking Bad. And, you know, there was the day that like every other girl that's in prison right now, I stood in front of a judge and he said, I'm changing your life forever. And, you know, when that happens, you, you have choices, you know, you, you can choose to, um, you can choose to allow that to define you however you want. And, um, you know, it can be the scarlet letter that you carry with you for the rest of your life. And the reason why you don't succeed Um, for me, it was completely the opposite. You know, I had a counselor who said to me, you know, you, you've got a lot of time to do and, and you can do it however you want. And, and um, you can worry about how to fit in with the in crowd here, or you can figure out how to um, turn your life around. And, okay. and so I did. And, and I heard about Televerdi and it, back then it was just a little nothing. Um, and, but the story was, if you were, if you got the job and you were really good at it, you could get a job at their corporate office when you got out. And um, I said, you know what, this is, this is my golden ticket. Like if I, if I can get this job and be really good at it, then I can 
get my children back, right? I had, I'd lost my husband, I'd lost my children, I'd lost everything. Um, and more than anything in the world, I wanted to have my children back, but I knew I needed to have a career and I, I needed to have a job. Actually, I didn't even think about a career. I just needed a job. Right. And I had a felony conviction and I didn't, you know, and the only thing I'd ever done was 10 bar. And so mm -hmm. um, I got a job, the job at Televerde and, and said, you know what? I, 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 I'm gonna use this as the foundation to rebuild my life and which is what I did. So yeah. um, I, worked, I worked for the company for four years on the inside and got the opportunity to come out and be a sales rep in, in 2002 and have literally, you know, my career has grown at the same pace as the company has grown and, and have gone to, to the space of obviously where I am today. So, yeah. well, and, and, and I want to say really clearly, I left that event and I thought to myself, shame on me for thinking that those two things could not be coincident. And I think this is a really important point about mass incarceration and the challenge we face with the level of incarceration we have in this country. It's very easy for us to say this is a problem of other people, right? This is a problem of people other. who are different, who are, you know, um, they're not like me or I don't have to think about, I mean, I, I think this is really important when we think about problems and challenges that our country face. It's very easy for us to make it an us versus them or them and us kind of issue and to make those distinctions. And I think we will not address this challenge unless we recognize that, of course, someone can be at one point in their life incarcerated and at another point, be someone who is not everybody, but certainly there are people who can be, you know, women leaders in business, right? The most interesting thing about you is not that you were in prison. It's that you are an amazing woman business leader um, who is doing many good things, but is also successfully running business. Um, and so I want to talk, I want to I want to talk about the, the issue of mass incarceration before we go into the broader question where I'm going to pick your woman leader, business leader, MBA brain about this. Um, but the problem of mass incarceration in this country, can you just give for people who may not know a yeah, little so, background on that? Yeah, because when you were talking about like people want to say it's not me, it's them, it's, you know, we, we have to stop othering because um, it's not other. One in two people in our country have an immediate family member who's currently or formerly incarcerated. Um, one in three people in our country have a criminal record. Um, and put that in perspective, that is as many people in our country have a criminal record as they do that have college degrees. So, right, if, if you know somebody with a college degree, it's safe to say you know somebody with a criminal record. Sure. And so this is not an issue that's affecting other people. It's a, an issue that's affecting every family in some way, shape or form. And if it's not your family, then it's your neighbor's family. Yeah. And um, we, we as a country, and so this was one of the things for me is when I, when I took on the role of chief social responsibility officer, I had been with com the company for 20 years at that point or almost 20 years. And I've been working and building the business and, and supporting women who in achieving their personal best, but I wasn't paying any attention to incarceration. It just wasn't, that wasn't my thing. You know, so when I was asked to take on this role and I started to do the research and about 
criminal justice and incarceration, I was shocked at the things that I found out, right? We are number one, you know, the U.S. likes to be number one at everything, right? The Phoenix Suns, we're number one in basketball right now, or maybe we are, but you know, for you, if you don't believe me, but you know, we, we like to be number one and, and we had managed, we've managed to become number one in the world incarceration. We have 25% of the world's incarcerated population, but we only have 5% of the world's population. Mm. And we spend, which would be fine if, you know, I suppose if it solved a problem, right? We spend $182 billion a year, that's a with a B, on incarceration. But the, the challenge is, is it's not, it's not fixing anything, right? right. Like I said earlier, 70% of people will go back within three years. 82% of people will go back to prison within eight years. And it's because, as I mentioned, joblessness, low income, and as it's the one piece of our population where not only is it legal, but it's actually morally acceptable to discriminate against people with yep. a criminal background. Yep. It is it is, it is, is absolutely morally acceptable to sit at any dinner table in any social conversation and be discriminatory against people with a criminal background. Right. It, it, in the job market, in social circles, wherever, it, you know, there's, it, it's okay. And we have we to- We ask stop. that question on job applications, right? Yeah. yeah. We, we, we have to stop doing that. Um, people should not be judged for the worst decision they made on the worst days of your, their lives. Like, would no. you want to be, if you think about the worst mistake or the worst decision you ever made? Absolutely in, not. That, do you Absolutely want that not. to follow you forever? No, no. <laughs> yeah. no. And I think uh, your point about othering is really important here because I think if we can tell ourselves, well, look, people go back to jail because they're just bad people, you know? Um, <laughs> I think I think it would be easy to say, well, that's not my problem, even if there's a lot of people in jail. I mean, people can make better choices. Your point is we all make bad choices at some time in our lives um, and you don't want that choice to follow you. And especially if the goal of incarceration at some level is rehabilitation, if people are just coming back to prison um, not because they're bad people, but because being in prison itself makes it nearly impossible for them to make a life afterwards. Nobody can think of that as, as success, I think. I mean, maybe so. Yeah. I don't know who they are if they think that, but um, yeah. So I think this is really, really important. And I think that uh, it's almost a necessity to do the kind of thing that you're talking about because so much of our population is going to face this challenge of having to find, to make a living afterwards, Um, or else we're just going to spend more and more money incarcerating people and they're going to keep coming back to jail. Uh, Okay. So it's, it's hard because we have an hour and I want to make sure we give people opportunities to ask questions and everything else. But I really do want to get to this point because I know you speak on this publicly, um, whether or not you would be talking about your own experience or televerity, you have an interest in the question of the role of business in society. And I know, you know, um, we used it in the marketing for this, Milton Friedman, the Nobel Prize winning economist who wrote this article in 1970 that was called A Friedman Doctrine. It was in the New York Times. The social responsibility is to increase its profits. And he makes a strong argument against businesses talking about social responsibility. Um, But he seems, and even in the way we sort of titled this event, 
uh, he seems to be suggesting it's got to be one or the other, right? That, that you can't expect business to be concerned with being socially responsible. You need the purpose of business is to make a profit and whatever the people who gain from that profit do with it afterwards, that's fine. But it's not the business's responsibility precisely to improve society. Now I'm going to acknowledge that I have a, I have a fondness for Milton Friedman. He's not perfect, but he says a lot of things that I think are important and intelligent. And I think there's a a sense in which somebody could say, well, listen, if you can't make a profit, you're not going to stay in business. So you can't help people. You don't see these things as being either or, correct? Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, as a business leader, when you think about business's role beyond even the question that, that we've been talking about, the question of mass incarceration and how to employ people who are in prison and ensure that they will be able to be employed afterwards, how do you think about business and about what business can and should do uh, in the community and in the world around? Well, I think that um, business is responsible to the community in which they operate, right? You, you can't roll through the world and just knock down everything in, in the name of profit. Like, I, I think that's just fundamental. It's like a little kid in the, in the schoolyard, right? Like you can't just run through the schoolyard and take everybody's toys and push everybody over and, and, and think that, that they're not going to turn on you at some point. And, and that's what we see in business, right? Businesses, businesses who put, put greed ahead of everything else and leave wreckage in their past, to, people just turn on those businesses. And, and, and that's, but, but the flip side is even more important, right? When, when business is doing and using business as a force for good, the community, the people, the employees, right? Everybody gets behind them and supports that and they're able to grow and they're able to grow more profitably and they become more profitable as a result, right? And, and so when you take those profits and then you're, you know, you're, you're using them to enhance the work that you're doing in a meaningful way, um, it just, it, it's just a cycle of, of giving and growing and giving and growing, right? Because you're, you're giving to the community, people see that, they like that, they buy more, right? And, and then you're taking care of your employees and they, they see purpose in the work that they're doing. Like that's one of the best things in the world is right. as an employee to work for an organization where you can connect the work that you do every day with the impact that it's having on another person or another situation and, and you feel purpose. You're a more productive employee. You're a more loyal employee. You're a more engaged employee, which ultimately is better for the business. Yeah, yeah. Because we all know, you know, the the employee turnover, employee retent, you know, in, 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 attracting employees, onboarding employees. All of those are huge costs to the business, as well as just, just think about, you know, we all know the studies about the level of disengaged employees. Like only something like seventy percent of employees are only moderately engaged in their job. Well, right. If you have 70% of your employees that are highly engaged in their job, like we do with our women in the, in the engagement centers, right? That's 70% of our workforce. And it, so at least 70% of our workforce is highly engaged. Those people are working harder and they're delivering at a higher level on your imperative. So by virtue of just giving people purpose and treating them with respect and enabling them to fulfill their potential, you 
build a business that's going to ultimately be more profitable and more successful. Mm. Yeah. I mean, I imagine, I think about small business owners and I can imagine that for a small business owner, they see that connection very directly, right. In the community that they're in um, the connection to the community and the importance of being a part of that community. But as businesses scale, maybe it's easier to leave that behind or especially now with globalization and things like that. I mean, uh, with the nature of business and so much of it being technology driven, it's easier to be disconnected from the people around you. We have a question from one of um, one of the audience members. Susan wants to, she says that Televerdi's corporate social responsibility involvement is exemplary. Uh, what is Televerdi's position with corporate political responsibility? And uh, she's she's put a resource here, but but I take it that is a question about there may be a distinction between saying we're thinking about the the community, we're thinking about our employees, we're thinking about stakeholders, that sort of thing. But that doesn't follow that we would take political positions. Um, do you, does Televerity have a position on that? We take political positions that are relevant to the work that we do, mm-hmm. right? That that matter. Um, for example, there's a uh, and it's on my agenda of things to work on this week. Uh, there, there's an initiative for businesses to get behind the right to vote, mm-hmm. right? So that's that's a political issue that's important to us, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Um, the dignity for women. Our governor just signed the law here in Arizona, so it's it's about dignity for incarcerated women. That's an issue that's important to us and to our population. Um, so these are things that we that we are we get involved in and that we have a voice in, but we don't feel the need to get involved in every political issue and bring, bring that in. So I think that it is important for businesses to say, what are the political issues that are, that are relevant to us, that, that matter to us. um, And then we support those things in a way that's meaningful. And when you do that, are you thinking about it? I mean, I, I, again, I'm, I'm reticent to make a like either or thing here, but when you're thinking about that, are you thinking about that in terms of we need to stand up for these issues because it's important for our business to survive? Or are you worrying about, I don't want to take a position because we don't want to take a position because it might threaten our business. I mean, it isn't an either or thing I know, but how do you go through the well, sort of- that's, It's actually a really good point because it is an either or thing. So there is there's legislation here in Arizona right now that is all about reducing our prison population. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So on the surface, that's a risk to us, right? Right. You want to let 50% of the people out of prison, that's could be 50% of my workforce, but doesn't matter. It's the right thing for the people. Right. right? So, so, you know, and, and it's about allowing people the opportunity to earn time off their sentences based on good behavior. Well, if we believe in second chances, and we believe in enabling people to successfully transition back into the community, then we believe in supporting any initiative that is designed to help them make that happen. And if if we were out fighting against that initiative, well, then we are exploiting it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Then we are exploiting the workforce yeah. in some fashion, right? Then we then we then we're putting our business first. Yeah. Right? And so when you go to the fundamental tenets of conscious capitalism, as a business, you make decisions about what's best for everyone. And I would imagine that consistent with that is if miraculously somehow we had 
so few people incarcerated that that workforce wasn't available to you. Televerde would be happy to compete on the open market for talent because you'd be in the position that everybody else is, right? Yeah, we certainly would compete on the open market for talent, but within our purpose is yeah, it's part of the purpose of the business. Give disempowered individuals the opportunity to rebuild their life, right? That's 10,000 yeah. disempowered people. So when, when I said about our mission for 10,000 people, it, it wasn't 10,000 incarcerated people. It was 10,000 disempowered. disempowered. Right. So, so we would, and we are look, looking for other people that we could provide with similar, similar opportunities, whether that be you know, disabled vets, you know, a blind American, you know, folks that are blind. And that's one of the places that we've been talking about recently, uh, military spouses. I mean, there's, there's just so many different areas that you can go and people that you can help refugees, you know, yeah. there's, there's so many things. And so that's what, if that's how we would mitigate that is we say, our mission is 10,000 disempowered people. Let's go. Let's we've, we've solved mass incarceration. Everybody's out of prison. Wonderful. There's still going to be disempowered people in the world. Yeah, that's wonderful. We fixed that problem. Let's yeah. go find another problem to fix. <laughs> I like that. I like that. So um, I want to in your I'm sure you have thought a lot about and seen a lot of businesses trying to engage in, even if not sort of at the core of the business itself, engage in socially responsible behavior. Um, is, and I'm going to assume that you don't think it's true only of your mission that there are examples of success in socially responsible behavior. Where do you see other successes, other businesses uh, thinking about how to improve the world around them and make socially responsible choices. But also, where do you see people make mistakes as they, organizations or corporations making mistakes as they go down this path? Um, that's a good question. Uh, it, it can't be like a flavor of the month thing. Mm hmm like you're doing it because other people are doing it and you want it to be. Yeah. It, yeah. It's, it's not a marketing thing. It's not a, um, it, it's not, it's not an event. It's, um, you know, to, to, to bring purpose into your organization is, um, it's, it's a commitment. It's, understanding what are you passionate about and it doesn't have to be televerdy and the whole entire business model is based on it mm -hmm. you can find other ways to do it you can be well it's like for some of our customers and in a lot of organizations you can bring purpose into the organization by the outsourcing decisions that you make right? By the purchasing decisions that you make. So, so many of our customers are, we have such longevity in, in our customer relationships because they view the work that they're doing with us. That's part of the purpose yeah. of their purpose, right? So, so it's, you know, it can be those procurement decisions and buying all those things that you, that you do. It can be things that you do in the community. It, there's a lot of ways, but it, it's, you know, it's something that you take seriously and you make a commitment to. I want to ask this of you, Michelle. So people in our audience are, tend to be people who are, whether they're in the for-profit or the nonprofit sector, people who are really thinking about their communities and how to improve them. Given what we've talked about, both 
you know, corporate social responsibility, but also uh, mass incarceration. If somebody, I think often people will think, yes, this is something I would like to be a part of. This is something I'd like to have an impact on. But sometimes we're paralyzed by not knowing how to do that. Um, if somebody is sitting here listening to this and says, boy, I'd sure like to be a part of making things better in this area, you know, what can I do? Do you have suggestions? They can call me. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. <laughs> I have lots of opportunities that, you know, you, we, we have lots of opportunities for volunteers. Um, you, you certainly can make a donation. I'll just make a shameless plug. You because, should. You should make right? Because we, you know, from the foundation standpoint, our ability to grow and reach more people is, is directly tied to our ability to find funding to expand. You know, I said earlier, um, you know, if you're a business leader and, and you've got uh, challenges in your, uh, your talent pool, and uh, recruiting and retaining talent. We can help you build your own prison to workforce pipeline. Um, but, you know, without being just completely gratuitous is, you know, you live in a community and there are organizations um, similar to us that are doing things, um, you know, find, find the thing that matters to you and the organization that um, supports that and, and give up your time and give of your money. Um, that's what, you know, that, that's the best thing that you can do. And then also make, make decisions with your dollars. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So that's, that's a big thing. Make decisions with your dollars, spend your money with organizations that are making a difference yeah. um, that, you know, that you can be proud of where you're spending your money. That's how, that's the best way that we vote in America yeah. <laughs> It's where we spend our money. So. Absolutely. Absolutely. Christian has a great question. Um, he, he says, with so many people that you can be helping, how do you keep your uh, how do you keep your mission focused on what your organization excels at? I love this question because I think it's true that as a business, when you become successful, it's very easy to find lots of different things you could do, but maybe shouldn't do because they'll eat away at that thing you're doing at the core, right? So how do you stay focused? You know, look, I am. Um... I am a complete shiny object person. You know, like I, I yeah. look at something, I'll be like, oh, that's great. Let's take that in. Oh, let's give this to the women. Let's do that. Let's do this. Right. Uh, you, you have to, you, you know, the mission statement is your mission statement and, and you have to stay committed to the mission statement. For example, I, the mission statement for the foundation, currently and formerly incarcerated women, personal and professional development programs, like very, like, that's, that's what it is. And so stay true to that. And cause I get people all the time that, you know, want me to come in and do something. I have somebody recently, you know, oh, well, can you start training people for the fire safety union? No, yeah. <laughs> I yeah. can't. That's yeah. not what I do. I, it's great. I can see there's lots of opportunity, but no, that's not what I do. <laughs> so, yeah. you know, so you have to, you have to say no, what you have to say no to the things that don't align with your mission and, and, and stay true to your purpose. And, and it actually, it takes having the right, if you've got a leader like myself, um, it takes having a good team. Yeah. I was going to say, I'm, I'm a hundred percent with you. No, we can't do that right now. You have to have somebody who pulls you back. Yeah. Yeah. Unless and you have an infinite supply of time and resources, um, you know, pick the things that matter the most and the things that have the most, the best, the the best impact and don't be afraid to take things out that are not working. 
Yeah, absolutely. That's fantastic. Right. Cause people in this space, it's really easy for people to have pet projects yep. and that's somebody's pet project. But if somebody's pet project is just taking time and resources and not delivering results and having impact, then don't be afraid to, 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 to take the pet to the pound. Well, and I would even say this is a case in which having to run a profitable business actually helps with this, right? I mean, it, it may be different with the foundation because it's a nonprofit, but I think often in nonprofits, people do have pet projects. They do say, well, I'm doing something that's good and important. So how can it be a bad thing? The for-profit world actually forces you to make those decisions and to stay focused because, you know, SAP is not going to stick with you if you're not providing the service they want. You might be doing a lot of great other things, but they're not going to stick. Um, okay, so we only have a few minutes left. I want to ask you one last question uh, and then give folks an opportunity to to know how they can learn more. But this, this last question is that one of the things we're often thinking about in terms of encouraging people to have conversations that will lead to action that changes their communities is kind of when you get into a conversation with someone who takes a very strong point of view and disagrees with you and says, look, we, you know, um, we're either too soft on crime or whatever, you know, something along those lines. What are some things that people can, apart from the example that you've given, but, but, but some things that people can bring into those conversations to not try and, you know, hit people over the head with, I'm right about this, but to help one another understand and per- persuade that they need to take another look at what's going on? Well, you know, the, probably the most important thing is just, is examples, right? I mean, that's, 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 that's what I am, right? Like you said, it challenged you to, to yeah. reevaluate your, your thought process. Um, and so that's probably one of the, the better ways in, in, in doing it is bringing in examples of, of success. But also, you know, when you're working in, in this type of space and um, in, in many other spaces, some people you just have to walk away from. Yeah. yeah. I'm not going I'm, I'm to change your mind. And, and, you know, and, and from a delivery business standpoint, we would get into these things with clients, you know, and they're like, oh, well, those people will never be smart enough to do this. Or, you know, we'd have a client and then somebody new would buy that company or somebody new would take over. And they were, you know, a closed minded person on the subject or on the, on the topic. And, and you know what, guess what? We don't want you to be our customer. Mm-hmm. We would have clients come and say, well, you know, we really like the work that you do. You're really the best at what you do, but we don't want to use those people on our campaigns. Can you run our campaign on the outside with people who aren't incarcerated? No. Yeah. No. I mean, we can, but we're not going to because- Because that's against the core of your business. Yeah. Because if you don't like us, if you don't like me, then go away. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. yeah, Absolutely. That makes perfect sense. Yeah. No, I think that's really important. So um, we are going to be uh, conscientious about your time and about the audience's time. I want to thank you for being here today. And to our audience, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks, Jennifer. It's been fabulous. I hope you enjoyed the conversation. I know I certainly did. And we will link in the show notes to more information about Michelle, about the Terra Verde Foundation and the work that Michelle uh, and her team are doing. So there are so many things that we can take away from this conversation. When I think about what I'm going to take away from this conversation, it's actually a lesson I already learned, but I was reminded again 
in the conversation with Michelle. And that is, uh, it's probably a really, really, really good idea not to make assumptions about people and to consider the possibility that um, we have maybe biases and we have preconceived notions about what it means. I do. I won't say we. I'll say I. How about that? About what people who end up in jail are like and what their prospects are like and what they can do. Um, We have a lot of people in jail in this country. And if we make assumptions about them, that they cannot be award-winning business leaders, that they cannot be people who are out speaking to others about how to improve their businesses, about how to make their businesses more effective. You know, there's a lot of people that were sort of writing that, that I have written off, if that's the way I think about people who are in prison. I'm so glad that I've had a chance to meet Michelle. I'm so glad that we've had a chance to hear what she has to say, not just because it helps me think about the assumptions I make, but because I think what she has you know, described in terms of Televerdi's business model is something we should all think about, the importance of business, the importance of how something as, I don't know, maybe seemingly mundane as being a customer service center can change someone's life forever and change the lives of the people in their families and in their communities. We often put business and doing good um, in opposition to one another. And I think Michelle and Televerde gave us a really good example of why that's a false dichotomy. So thanks for joining us. If you enjoyed the conversation, please, please rate and review the podcast wherever you get it, because that's the best way for other people to know about it and to get them involved in these kinds of conversations. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Civil Squared Podcast, where we explore civil discourse and the free exchange of ideas. We'll see you next time for another conversation.